HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn, new American cuisine in one of Washington, D.C.'s oldest hotels, located in DuPont Circle. For more information, visit tabardin.com. This week, Meat and Three is taking you to market and all over the world, from Newfoundland to Tunisia. A lot of us think of, you know, the British Empire trading things like spices and sugar and silk. But you write that it actually began with salt cod from Newfoundland. <laughs> there was a port closure in Tunisia, which was horrible. I mean, it was months, boats just setting on the water waiting to go and they couldn't go anywhere. And we'll learn about how markets have changed, whether because of their customers or the climate. A few years ago, something around the 10 years, it was uh, totally different. It almost manifests itself to almost smelling like an old fire pit. When you, mm-hmm. when you put it out, it has that sort of charcoal smell to it. It's not good for wine. Join us this week on Meet and 3 for our global market tour. And don't forget to subscribe to Meet and 3 wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Lisa Held coming to you live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, and you're listening to The Farm Report, a Heritage Radio Network show about the people, processes, and policies that shape how food is produced today. So I have a great guest in studio who I'm excited to introduce shortly, Um, but before I do that, I have some big Farm Report news to share. So today is actually the last episode of the summer season, and it's also the last episode that I'll be recording from Heritage Radio Network's amazing shipping container studio at Roberta's in Brooklyn. Um, I, feel, I feel a little emotional about it. Um, it's such a great spot. Um, I love this studio. Um, but no worries. The show will continue on. Um, when we come back in September... I'll be recording the Farm Report live on full-service radio at the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. And the important thing for listeners to know is it will be the same Heritage Radio Network show that you know and I guess hopefully love. (laughs) Um, And you'll be able to find episodes on the exact same Farm Report page on heritageradionetwork.org 
um, or listen in the same place. If you're using a podcast app, nothing's going to change on that front. You don't have to do a thing. But I wanted to let you know that we'll be broadcasting from D.C. because you might notice more farm policy guests, for instance, um, more farmers from the Mid-Atlantic um, as opposed to the Hudson Valley. Uh, and of course, we'll, we'll continue to talk about agriculture from both a local and national perspective, maybe even more national perspective given the nature of D.C., um, so if you're in DC or you know someone near DC that you think should be a guest, uh, feel free to email me at Lisa Elaine H at gmail.com and keep up with updates on Instagram at the underscore farm underscore report. We'll still be posting lots of stuff on there until we come back in September. And one last thing, just a shout out to the engineers here at Heritage Radio Network that have been keeping my show going and helping me out. Uh, Amanda's in the studio today. She's amazing. G uh, recorded the show with me for a long time. And Matt has been engineering the show with me pretty much uh, the entire past year. I will miss you guys a lot. Um, okay, to today's show. So <laughs> I am here in studio with Chris Starkis, a chef farmer all the way from Denver, where he owns Lost Creek Micro Farm and is the chef at the restaurant Urban Farmer. Chris, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Thanks for your patience. I had to get all that out. You know, it's sort <laughs> well, of... <laughs> agreed. Congratulations. Well, that's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so you're the chef at Urban Farmer, and you also are an Urban Farmer. Correct. 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 So which role came first? Uh, definitely chef. Okay. Uh, that was definitely the first thing we did. I, you know, I went to school in Vegas. I was in Vegas for 12 years, went up to Portland, Oregon. Um, I was a private chef for a little while and that's kind of where I went to a, uh, gardening class through Oregon Tilth, mm -hmm. um, and started to grow for the family I was working for. And then kind of from, and I mean, I had a lot of farmer friends in, in Portland, things like that. As right. I started working, uh, the original urban farmers in Portland, Oregon, um, I oh, grew okay. the, um, uh, rooftop beds there, built them and grew from there as mm. well as the rooftop apiary. I started beekeeping there as well. So kind of started rolling into that connection and being very close to the restaurant at that point in time. Okay. Um, I want to say that was like 2013, I think is that right? Um, and so as we started to grow there, we, we, I understood a lot more about, Hey, what can I grow in season? What can I transfer to the restaurant? What's mm -hmm. going to make the biggest impact? Interesting. So you were growing really for your own menus. Correct. Right. Correct. Yeah. Um, and so what is the farm that you have now? What does it look like? Give us like a sort of picture of sure. what you've got going. We ha so Lost Creek Micro Farm is next to my house. Okay. And so we are on a half acre, a quarter of that. It's literally a rectangle and half of it. And you're looking at the house. The right hand side is the farm. So mm. that itself is a rectangle. Um, we have a greenhouse on there. That's about uh, six by eight. Um, I have five hives. I caught a lot of swarms this year. So we started with one and actually went up to five. Mm. Um, and then just basically straight rows. We have about, uh, let's see, 23 rows and then some up front. Um, and then there's a mix of flowers and vegetables. Um, we do a lot of drip irrigation. We have a well on the property. Uh, as well, so that's where we get all the watering from, and that's gonna be that's been the delivery system. We added some pallet um, planters this year uh, mm. next to the driveway uh, to grow some more esoteric kind of uh, herby greens in as well. Interesting. And did you have that space? Like, was that part of your property already, and you just decided to turn it into a farm, or did you have to acquire 
land. No, no, that. it was part of the space, mm. and then uh, it has been wood chips for a while, so we decided to, um, especially when we moved to Denver, so we've only been in Denver for two years now. Okay. Um, and so the first year we did it, my wife and I said, you know, let's, we wanted to have a garden, we grew some stuff, and it was probably the most prolific garden we had, you know, being, mm. in, being in Portland, you didn't have the sun that you do in Denver. Oh, um, so that intensity grew a lot and it was almost like kind of uh, Jack on the Beanstalk ish where like, we were like, wow, this is, wow, this is amazing soil. Um, and so we started to, um, you know, put it all together expand. and make sure and expand it. Um, and, and we both kind of talked, said, you know what, the first year we did it with um, a lawn, um, you know, uh, what is it, not lawn sprayer, or water, you know, those oscillating ones. Oh yeah, yeah. And and I I would go, I'd turn the I'd turn the well on and move it three times a day, and then <laughs> you know we thought, well, you know, there's got to be a better way to do this, and so we wound up working with uh, some drip irrigation and got nice. that down, and then we did that last year and this year, and it's been very very nice. Do you use a lot less water with that system? Hundred percent, and then. Yeah. We we definitely do, but I think that especially watering at night and on the shoulder parts of the day, especially when we're hot in Denver, like you know in eighties, nineties, hundred when you're getting up there, um, that delivery system puts a lot more water in the ground. But also keep you know for things like tomatoes that don't like to have water in the leaves, uh, that was the other part of too. So we don't have any aphids or any diseases like that. Mm. It, do you grow organically? Hundred percent, yes. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's the other part of this too is that's the life that we kind of lead as well. And so we want to make yeah. sure that. We can, you know, even though the yields sometimes aren't as high, um, but the flavors and whatnot are there. I, ha I have uh, two kids as well, and so mm -hmm. that's that's the secondary part is teaching them where their food comes from, um, how to grow it, and then how to enjoy it, you know, and, and, and really enjoy a lot of things that maybe most kids don't get to see or whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a joy for us when, you know... <laughs> they go in like they go in the garden. And sometimes they're picking stuff too prematurely, like the little yeah. baby carrots and things like that. And at first, it used to stress my wife and I out. I'm like, oh, what are they doing? <laughs> you know, like they're picking green tomatoes. Um, but at the end of the day, it was like, hey, hey, they're out there. That's great. And then of course, uh, now as they get older, they realize that they can win to win to eat them, and they they know the difference now. And that that's a, a prideful thing for my wife and I. You know, they know that. Yeah, I I think like so much of my food philosophy and my interest in and food still comes from just being in my mom's garden as a kid, just yeah. like no, like that, like being sent out to pick tomatoes and string beans, and yeah. it's it's crazy how that stuff stays with you. But it just tastes better. Yeah, you know? and, and right. And I remember that. Like I remember the taste of like a you know a cherry tomato that's hot in the sun, and you put it in your mouth. It's like you don't. It does. It, it, you're like you remember that. That's a good taste you want to have the rest of your life. Agreed. Right. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so so how much are you producing on the farm, and then where does the food end up? Is it all go to the restaurant? Uh, yeah, so we do a market just for our community. Mm. Um, we normally do it on Thursdays. Then um, my daughter and son run that. Uh, so that's <laughs> part of their kind of quote-unquote lemonade stand, if you will. Um, so they can pick it, but that's the rules is that they have to run it. And we'll help them with the money and things like that, but um, they'll set it up. And I think we're probably going to do that in the next two weeks or so as it's, as it's been a later season this year. Okay. Um, but the rest of it goes to the restaurant. And so the interesting part is I'll get up in the morning, um, especially right now in season. So we have greens, arugula, Zuna, things like that. Um, I'm trying to think about everything else. peppers and tomatoes and uh, edible flowers and these herbs. And so I normally talk to my chefs. Uh, we have our chef meeting on Friday. I'll let them know, hey, this is what's coming up in the garden. You know, plan for the squash to come, summer squash is coming out. You know, we're going to have tomatoes. And so it just kind of changes where we order from mm -hmm. um, during that period of time because the growing season is not too very long. Um, and so we kind of communicate that out. I'll pick stuff in the morning. 
wash it. We have our own, you know, washing sinks, things like that, and then bring it into the restaurant. Um, and then all the cooks and everybody knows too. Like they'll see me coming through, and I'll have a, people help me out, and they know that we've picked a bunch of stuff from the farm, and it gets everyone excited, you know, for whatever specials we have that weekend. We'll pre-shift what's from the the farm and talk about it with our guests. One of the most recent things we did is I wanted to grow. Um, we do a, t- a lot of table size stuff at the mm-hmm. at the restaurant, um, and we have a Caesar on our menu. You know, we do some steakhouse stuff like that, and so. Right. I said, well, how can we kind of do the Caesar different? So I grew this red romaine. Um, we also have 23 chickens on, on the property oh as well. Gosh. So uh, my son does chickens in 4-H through them. Um, and so we use the eggs <laughs> as the well. Eggs. So I thought, okay. how, can we, how can we do this? And um, we basically did a table-side Caesar. So we use the romaine from, from the farm. We use the eggs uh, from the chickens and made a thing of it. And so it was it, – we have, a, I think, about maybe 50 more heads um, after that, but we've probably sold over 300 this season. That's awesome. Um, and it's been, it's been great because, again, it's just the, the flavor, like we were talking about, the flavors are different. Yeah. So it is romaine lettuce, but once we are able to tell the story through our staff and, and tell people about it, um, they're interested and, and excited to try it. And then, of course, you know, when you've had a farm chicken egg versus uh, something that's mass produced, there's a big di- flavor difference there, too. Right, absolutely. Um, and are you using honey too from the hives at the restaurant? Are you selling honey or? Yes, we use hives. So I have five hives at the farm, um, but I have three on the rooftop at the restaurant downtown. Oh my gosh. So that's six, uh, six stories up. Um, and I do what's called, so I've been beekeeping for about five years. I'm in the master beekeeping program through Colorado. I'm on my second level right now. Um, and so through that period of time, I've been, I've done top bar, I've done a foundation, uh, Langstroth, and now I'm doing foundationless, um, on the rooftop so that we can cut, um, honeycomb. And so, um, we cut honeycomb for cheese plates, our charcuterie boards, and right now one of our foie gras dishes that we have on the menu. Um, and so that's something that it gave a sense of place. Like people understand that it's on the sixth floor. Right. Um, and so when we were in Portland, that was kind of a learning experience. We were in Mm. Portland, we extracted all the honey. Um, and yes, it tasted great, but it, it, it looked like just the honey that you would buy in the store. Right. And so I thought, well, how can we do it different? We went to Denver, um, and I, I started working with the foundation list. And so we cut that comb, whatever wax there is, I actually make lip balms, um, that we uh, sell at the spa next door as well from that wax. So we can kind of do what I call like a whole hive philosophy. We're using everything there, pollen, wax, and honey. Mm. Um, so that whole extraction ha- happens through those rooftop hives. What do you, I, I don't actually know what foundation list means. What does that mean when it, in, with honey? Well, generally yeah. with Langstroth, um, you have the, like the classic box ones you're seeing that have 10 frames. Okay. There's normally a plastic insert between there and the, build, the bees build on both sides. Um, you generally decap the honey, you put it in an extraction machine that spins it, and then put, and then, um, what's the term I'm trying to, that centrifugal force pulls it out. Okay. Um, and generally those um, hexagons are left on there, and then you put them back in, the bees clean them up, and they'll use them again. Oh. Um, so you normally don't, and it's a little bit less wax. So the foundation list is there's just remove the plastic. And so they'll build the whole comb in that same frame still. Huh. Um, it's a little bit more, you need to manage it more because they will do what's cross combing. So they won't actually stay with the lines. Sometimes they'll go from one, one to, and then work their way to the third one or something like that. So during the season as they're building, you got to stay on top of it a little bit more so that you get those straight comb. Okay. Um, and so that's the difference. And so that way you can just cut the comb right off. We have a holder in the restaurant that is on our charcuterie station and it's out there for everyone to see and then as we get dishes in we'll remove the glass cut it off and leave it there so you you can see it at all times that's really cool yeah it's fun i really like this um idea too of a master beekeeper i don't think i've ever heard that terminology what is the 
what is the training like to become a master beekeeper? So I started the program when I was in Oregon and it's mm-hmm. through OSU out there. Okay. Um, and so we, that first level was more about, you know, being around highs, but understanding the education and, and, and doing the book work and, mm-hmm. and tests. And so that was a one year program. I had to have a mentor, which was one of my uh, friends, Ryan, he was helping me with the rooftop hives, um, uh, a company called be local out there. Okay. And so I worked with him who was in the program at the second level and had to mentor me. So we worked through the seasonality of it, talked through all the diseases and, and basically, beekeeping habits i always joke that beekeeping is kind of like uh, religion there's a million ways to do it um you know there's not necessarily a lot of wrong answers um there's a couple things that you can do wrong but mostly you're going to do right um and so there's three steps to that i'm in the journeyman level right now okay. uh, mentoring other students um in town and then also building my education i have a bunch of research projects on like varroa mite and uh, beetles and things like that um you know the nectar flows and and just you know charting out where my hives are at how i'm feeding them you know everything i'm doing so that i kind of have kind of like 4-h if you will like mm. i'm putting my whole booklet together on what i'm putting into it um and and then as well as then I, then i can pass another test um that this process has taken about two years i should finish it in spring um, all the research projects um once i do that i can get to the third level which is the master beekeeping level and to be honest with you i i know it's a higher education i'm not sure exactly what the uh what what all is entailed there (laughs) right um but i know that you're working with other people that have their masters in it and then kind of you know just working off that community and 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 best practices, if you will. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. I mean, it, yeah, there's so much science to beekeeping, and um, I, very I much. Can, so. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. It's yeah. it's it's a fun it's a fun thing, and it's a fun thing to share because generally everyone I, I run into loves honey. Yeah, so, it's a pretty yeah. hard thing not to like. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Totally agree. Um, what does I'm curious about Denver's urban farm Mm -hmm. environment so like are there a lot of urban farms there's a good amount of them uh, a lot of them up in boulder um we work with a lot of ones that downtown now um there's one down there altius farms which is a greenhouse they do a lot of greens there Mm. Um, i work with josh a lot over at acres which is a technical school out in lakewood um and so he has i think it's about five acres out there and he's actually teaching high school kids farming as well which it is nice to work out there, and he's actually one of the guys I'm mentoring in beekeeping this mm. year. It's his first year taking beekeeping. He's a former chef as well, um, and so he's also teaching kids out there, you know, relatively, you know, for lack of a better term, seeding the next generation, which I think is a very important thing. We were talking about kids before, um, and so, and then there's a lot of them up in Boulder that we're working with. There's Cure Organic Farm that's out there. Um, Esoteric Farms is out there as well, working with them as well, mm. um, and a lot of people actually doing some mushrooms. They're working with Thomas Bailey. Uh, he's um, Kingdom Come Mushrooms, and we get a lot of um lions manes and stuff from him mm-hmm. um so there is a lot going on especially coming from portland i was uh, surprised um how much was going on and how how awesome it was i mean there's a lot of people doing some great ranching as well um but there's a lot there's a lot to work with a lot of passionate people in denver that we've been lucky to work with and hopefully we'll find more yeah and is it mostly i mean like in new york a lot of our our urban farms are on rooftops mm-hmm. just because of the way the city is set up sure. in denver is it mostly on land or yes. do you have the yeah. yeah mostly arable arable soil there's a lot of people doing micros mm-hmm. uh, um we work with mountain man micro farms so he does a lot of his stuff inside as well mm-hmm. um but i would say yeah it's mostly arable soil yeah yeah 
That makes sense. I guess it's just a space thing here. It's like there's so many Correct. buildings, right? We have well, more rooftop space than we have land here. You know? <laughs> right. well, and the difference is most of the urban farming you would see would be marijuana in, in, mm. <laughs> in Denver, in right? Denver, so huh. that's where a lot of those spaces in the city are taken up for. Uh, um, so people are pushed out to do more uh, farming that way. Well, because so much of the uh, marijuana growing is indoor, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, and warehouses there. Yeah. Interesting. Huh. Um, okay, we have to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about um, the restaurant and how you work with other farmers um, in Colorado. Um, we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn. Tabard Inn, Washington, D.C.'s quintessential hotel, is located on a quiet, tree-lined street just five blocks from the White House. Vibrant yet unassuming, the Tabard is comprised of 40 sleeping rooms, each unique in character and design. Feast on an eclectic American cuisine in their acclaimed restaurant, or enjoy a cocktail and listen to live jazz in one of their cozy Victorian seating areas. Mingle with travelers from around the world who find the Tabard the only place to stay when taking their travels to Washington. For more information, visit tabardin.com. All right, we're back. You're listening to The Farm Report on Heritage Radio Network. I'm here with Chris Starkis, chef farmer from Urban Farmer in Denver. Um, so we were talking a lot about your farm, Lost Creek Micro Farm, before the break. Um, and I want to give you an opportunity to t- talk a little bit more about your work as a chef, especially because that's what you've been doing longer, right? Correct. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, so um, at the restaurant, at Ur- I mean, it's called Urban Farmer, so I imagine that there's a lot of attention to where the food comes from. Yes. Um, yep. So, in ad- I, you know, in addition to your farm... How much um, of the food that you source at the restaurant is grown locally? I would say about 75. Mm. Um, You know, as we get into the winter seasons, it kind of moves down California, things Mm -hmm. like that. But as we get closer to the season, it grows, right? Right. Um, And so the restaurant is, um, we focus a lot on steak, um, but we've been pushing that boundary the last couple of years. Mm. Um, myself and my chef team has been together for about five years. A lot of the chefs came down from Portland, Oregon. So, um, we have a strong understanding of what we want to do at urban farmer and kind of push it forward there. Mm -hmm. Um, so we do, yes, we do beef. We have a lot of different styles of beef on the menu. Um, one of the ranchers actually we're highlighting here in New York, Boot Hill seven is up in Lusk, Wyoming. Um, we get whole animals in from them. We do dry aging and and have these special cuts because we do a lot of whole animal butchery um, through pigs as well. Mm. Um, we make our own sausages and charcuterie, which are all, you know, the meat side of things. Mm. Um, we use uh, the other stuff that's not necessarily local is obviously seafood because we're landlocked. Right. Um, but we do a lot of seafood preparations, incorporating a lot of the ingredients from the farms, local farms that we were talking about. Um, and then um, from there, a lot of the vegetables as well. We were talking about, uh, um, you know, acres and there's the farmer's market union station there. And, and we kind of plug all those things in. And so we are open brunch seven days a week um, and then dinner as well. So mm-hmm. we, we're, we don't close for holidays, things like that. So we have a lot of area to work on specials and different menus to push all these uh, ingredients out, if you will. Right. Yeah. What is the, the um, farm landscape in Colorado like lend itself to? Like, is it easy to source a lot of beef like i would imagine there's a lot of ranches in colorado (laughs) um yep 
is there a lot of vegetable production like in around the city? <clears throat> Absolutely, and, yeah. there is. Um, you know, greens and micros are, are, are on the top of the list as mm. far as what people are doing, um, as far as vegetables and tomatoes and things like that in season. Absolutely, there's plenty of that. Mm. Um, beef and pigs and ranchers and lamb, of course, um, and like I was saying, mushrooms for sure, uh, as mm. well. So a lot of that is easy to get, is very local, um, you know, up in Fort Collins and Boulder and um, down south. Right. Um, local grains as well. A lot of people are growing grains, especially on the eastern part of Colorado. So um, there's uh, heritage grains that are out there as well. Um, so w- there's a lot. There's a lot going yeah. on, which is great. And so I learn about more and more. I mean, there's even people locally roasting chocolate up there for tuna chocolates, people that we work with in Boulder as well. Um, and so that's – there's a lot. There, yeah. You know, I, I, I mean, it's hard to narrow it down, but every time I learn about more, um, there's even um, – we're using trouts um, from – uh, the San Luis Valley, which is down South Frontier Trout down there. And mm. he's a one-man operation. He's got a 26-acre uh, farm down there, and that's local trout that's delivered to Denver, which is four hours south, um, one day a week. So we get mm. that in. We do curing. We do whole fish uh, table side as well. And so there's there's a lot. Yeah. And on the meat side, um, I, I saw that you know, you're know you doing nose to tail. Do you buy whole animals? Yes. Do you butcher them at the restaurant? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, not everything we do. I mean, okay. we get a lot of primals in as well. Um, but I mentioned Boot Hill 7. And then mm-hmm. actually this recently, I was mentioning my, bro- my, my brother, my <laughs> my son was in 4-H. So I <laughs> bought a uh, an animal at 4-H at the auction um, this, just before we left to come here in New York. Mm. Um, and we'll... we'll you know, highlight that animal as well. And so myself and my chef team, we, you know, we have a, we have three full-time butchers there that break down whole fish as well. Wow. Um, and so we'll just kind of decide what we want to do with the, with the cattle at that point in time. You know, we know we're going to do tomahawk steaks, we're going to do ribeyes, New York's tenderloins. That's the easy part. Um, you know, one of my chefs is great at making pastrami. Um, so we'll, we'll have him make a bunch of pastrami from the brisket and then we, you know, we'll do uh, beef bacon from the belly. We'll mm. obviously do burgers, dry aged burgers, things like that. So, we, we have a plan when this animal shows up. It generally comes in about uh, four to six pieces, depending on how the processor, we talk to them about mm-hmm. how we want to cut. Um, and then we kind of work on breaking it down there. We use the bones for stock. Um, and so everything is 100% used uh, yeah. in the restaurant. Yep. Is it hard to to figure out ways to use everything in terms of what people order. Yes. Like for instance, like <laughs> I've heard, you know, people like they like their, the certain kind of steak, like that cut. Right. And then right. all the other ones are like, so how do you get around that? How do you, well, you know, a lot of it's staff training and talking to people mm. about trying something new. Cause everyone's heard about tenderloins in New York's mm. and ribeyes, right? Like that's the easy part. Right. So the rest of it is about why these cuts are flavorful. Why is a flat iron flavorful? Why is a culotte flavorful? Why is a, uh, a bavette flavorful, but also, they're not always just steak on a plate either. So mm. we do some composures, which help with that as well. And then the cooking technique, whether we're braising it, you know, sous vide it or whatnot to tenderize it. And so through our staff trainings and uh, pre-shift, that's something that we educate our servers about so that they can talk to our guests about it and really get them on the idea of like, hey, this is what Hoana Butcher is. There's a lot of other parts to this animal. Right. And this is why you should try it because it's flavorful, whether it's the marbling where it comes from in the animal. Um, and try something new. And it's not always more expensive at all. Mm. Um, sometimes it's less expensive, and that's something that, uh, you know, people don't connect with most of the time. Yeah. What about buying animals like that? Is it more, like, is the cost for you less because you use the whole animal, or is it more expensive to do it that way? You know what? It kind of goes up and down depending on the producer. So, like I was saying, we were working with Boot Hill 7, and, and a lot of that is about the finish. And so, 
you know, these are specifically with them. They're all grass fed. Mm. Um, they're about four and a half hours north of where we are. I visited the ranch a number of times and talked to JD and Andrew a lot about mm. kind of what's going on there, but also what they're finishing on and, and why. And so they actually introduced me to um, the uh, what is it the ultrasound method. So they actually mm. ultrasound the cattle before they're going to finish to see how the marbling is coming out. Um, they get they. Sorry, we, yeah, this is really yeah, interesting. Yeah, we need yeah. to get into no, this. No, this is this is why they, it's awesome. They yeah. actually use an ultrasound machine, like yes. like one of us would encounter at a hospital. Correct. And they use that on the cow. Correct. So there's a guy to who see does inside it. the yep. cow's body in Correct. order to check the marbling. Check the marbling, and so again, as we're talking about this, I'm sure you have before. You know what this is a business too, right? Right. So, of course. Um, they want to grade out as as high as possible for mm-hmm. us, and so. They've, you know, hey, do I do we more do we finish on corn? Or they're using spent grain from some of the breweries as mm-hmm. well, um, and so when they're looking at it and then finishing it to get it as high, that that's that's kind of kind of the whole point. And so we've been working closely with them. So yes, on our side, sometimes it's better or not, but I think as far as the the pricing is concerned, right? But to me, it's about that story and that connection working with those ranchers. I've learned so much about raising cattle, <laughs> with, right. you know, through them, and then being able to tell those stories through the staff to our guests for that connection of where their food comes from is is stronger message than the actual money. There, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And that's interesting. So they're they're grass fed up until that very last Correct. um point when they're going to they finish yeah they'll finish 90 to 120 days um mm. before they go to slaughter and so um they'll finish on he like he was telling me he's like depending on now he's starting to move from corn over to these spent grains cuz he's like once you start That's their cool. yeah so he's like once you start on this corn they have that in their diet they don't necessarily want anything else so at first he wound up just like feeding it to his horses because his horses were like getting in the barns and eating the spent grain from the brewery. Mm. And so he's, he's slowly transitioning over to that because again, it's, it takes a while to do all these things. And so that's what he was doing last time was feeding half and half. Um, but like we're talking about the ultrasounding, they want to make sure that they're getting to the highest quality beef. And so understanding where their feet is taking that marbling. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course the genetics from there, when we went with them, they were only, doing yearlings they weren't even finishing off beef they weren't they weren't there and so we've been able to work with them they actually distribute in um you know denver now they're really growing um and again we we have um and our education of how they how ranching is yeah i want to i want to meet this guy whose job (laughs) it is to go to farms and ultrasound the cattle like that's crazy right that's someone's job (laughs) my understanding was that he started and got some of the technology from the guy who was developing larger chicken breasts originally which is where this technology came from i guess um and so he adapted it to cattle and um it's been amazing. And, and it's funny because most people haven't heard of this and I, I certainly hadn't either. So as we're telling people, sometimes they think we're like crazy getting like two Portlandia <laughs> like, wait, on wait, people. Yeah. Back up, back yeah. up. We need to just like, but it's make real. sure we're talking about the right, the yeah. same thing. <laughs> yeah. It's real. It's a real thing. Huh, amazing. <laughs> um, and so, you know, it's at, at the end of the day, urban farmer is a steakhouse. So right. you're, you're sort of the, the meat is kind of, the, the main thing and mm-hmm. then you're yeah and then you're bringing in now with that being said we also have vegetarian and vegan items on the menu you mm-hmm. know i think that we're a little bit different in the respect we're not the white tablecloth mm-hmm. you know um ties on our server's restaurant it's a very a little bit more relaxed in that way and i think people are getting used to that it took people a little while especially in denver um to understand 
you know, you can have this really high end experience without having to get dressed up and, and really be like too stiff, I guess. And mm-hmm. so that's the whole point of like, Hey, come and sit us. We have nice natural wood tables. You have, you know, servers that are like engaging, um, and hospitable. And then now we're going to, sh- we're going to really focus on the food and of course some of the meat, but you know, at least, at least from my side of things and my chefs as well is like where we like to push our culinary prowess is basically on some of the vegetables yeah. and, and some of those, uh, ingredients because, you know, like I was saying, Boot Hill 7, they're feeding the animals, they're breaking it down. Yeah. We cook it and like, you know, it's kind of like an oyster. You open yeah. it up, and, you know what I mean? It's like you just don't mess it up, yeah. right? And there's a way to season it and make sure it's right. But unless it has a composure to it, which is where we like to put our things, that's where we've pushed our boundaries and saying, hey, um, we have a cauliflower steak on the menu right now that highlights the beets from my farm, um, some of the edible flowers um, and, and things like that um, for the seasonal composure. Mm. Um, and it's 100% vegan item. And so we like to talk about that as well so that people that are, are that want to come to the restaurant don't just think that all we have to offer that is great is meat. And so I always tell people all the time, you can come to urban farmer. If you don't have steak, you're not missing the urban farmer experience because I think that we do a lot of things great, including our seafood and vegan and vegetarian items. Right. I'm curious in, you know, there's so much talk right now about people eating more plant-based, just, you know, mm-hmm. kind of shifting diets to a, a more plant-based place. Um, in a place like Colorado, I feel like the culture it, it must be so meat-centric um, compared to, you know, here yeah. maybe on the East Coast. Is it, is, are those same conversations happening about, and do you feel like people are like talking about eating more plant-based yeah absolutely they are yeah um you know you have a lot of people out there that love their meat and of course where it's from lambs and some of the like the more game meats which Mm -hmm. uh was different than the portland market in that respect Mm. um but i think too for us is actually reducing the amount of the portion as well and that's the next thing i think that's the transition you know away from just a 20 ounce ribeye Mm -hmm. and we're encouraging more like hey you should split and try more you know one of the things that we have on the menu is a uh, a tasting of uh, new york steaks that are you know grass-fed grain-fed 21 day dry age and wagyu so people can taste the difference and so that's anywhere between three to four six ounce portions which i personally can't eat all that so we encourage people to share and taste and have other items on the menu for that reason as Mm -hmm. well yeah that's, you know, eat a, it's sort of that idea of just like eat meat, but eat it, eat really good meat and yeah. smaller portions. And agreed. And yeah. be conscious about what you, where it's from and understanding where it's from. Right. Absolutely. One thing I want, I didn't ask you about, which I think will be a, a good place to kind of finish up is you have a farm, you are tending hives, chickens, mm-hmm. vegetables, um, and you're running the kitchen at this restaurant. How do you balance all of these different roles? I, I mean, we have an amazing team on both ends. I have an amazing yeah. family and my wife of 15 years and my son who's 10 and my daughter who's five and a half, you know, they help out at the farm as well and, and really, you know, keep it going. And then vice versa, you know, the chefs that I brought here in New York, Ryan and Eric, um, and our front of the house staff, um, they help support that because they all love that we and I do this because it's a different part of what it, it's what makes us an urban farmer different. Mm-hmm. And so everyone's open to supporting that. It's not a solo mission. There's not very many people that can do that. I'm certainly not one of them. So it's because of the team around me um, that's passionate as well that I'm able to juggle it. And it's not easy at all. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's not there's times I'm like, geez, you know, uh, but that's the very helpful part. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think I, I had a, um, 
a dairy farmer on, I think it was last week's episode. And, and she was talking a lot about how her kids help. And, and now you're talking a lot about how your kids help on the farm. And Mm -hmm. I asked her this question and now it makes me want to ask you just like, do you think your kids will want to go into farming or, or some sort of food? Like, do they express interest in it? They, they do. Um, you know, my son knows how to cook eggs and things like that now. They, in, they know when, like, if, like, in season, if something's not perfect at the grocery store, like, they won't eat it, mm. you know? And so they know the difference of, like we were talking about before the show, picking a warm tomato mm. from the garden. So I think that, that, like, that connection of knowing where their food comes from and even growing up themselves will resonate with them through their life. Um, so I think so. Mm. Um, because the flavor's there, and I think... Um, you know, we went to dinner the other night because my son got a bunch of great ribbons at the 4-H fair for his chickens, <laughs> right? Um, and, you know, they ordered, like, rabbit and lamb, and they had the corn, and they were just, like, loving everything. Um, my daughter was, like, just was just eating, like, anchovies, like these white <laughs> boccaroni anchovies that she had on the seat. You know what I mean? Like, and so because they appreciate these things, they know they taste great, and so I, I think so. I really mm. do think so, that they'll resonate through their life. That's great. Well, thank you so much for being here. This thank is you great. for having me. I appreciate it. And thank you all so much for listening to the Farm Report on Heritage Radio Network. If you enjoyed the conversation, please subscribe to the podcast, rate it, and share it. We'll be back on the air in September live at Full Service Radio at the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. See you then. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.